0: You're listening to the Epic All Day Podcast with Jim Simcoe. I'm here to help you make your life epic, so let's get rolling with the show. Hey everybody, welcome to the Epic All Day Podcast. I am so stoked to have my friend, Peter Scott IV, here today. It's good to see you, Jim. Good to see you, brother. Thank yeah, you for having me. Yeah, you got him. It's nice to see you outside of the gym. And I know, right? And uh, we're not sweating and doing power cleans right now. We Isn't just, it weird seeing people from the gym in clothes like street clothes? It's so strange. Yeah, it's so strange. I've actually run into people like just kind of around town, and you're like, "Hey, wow, you dress up. You know, you, you clean up nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You clean up nice when you don't have sweat like pouring <laughs> out sure. of you, and your hair's not all all looking crazy. Yeah. Um. Anyway it's a pleasure to have you here. The topic today is how to live fearlessly. Mm -hmm. I really think this is one people are going to really dig. And I know that you really embody this type of work and this is really kind of what you're about. So maybe could you give us a little bit of a background about you? Like where are you from? What do you do? Just give it. For
1: sure I can. Yeah. Uh, The reason, first of all, why I'm so passionate about this is simply because Jim, my entire life has been consumed by fear. So I've lived all over Um, that's a hell of an opening yeah so that right there like it consumed my entire life and as far back as uh, and I'll make this quick but this is an important part of the story Um, when I was 10 years old I had to sit down in a courtroom with my mom my grandmother and an attorney Oh God! and I had to look into my mom's eyes at 10 and tell her that I no longer felt safe living with her because of her alcoholism oh my gosh yeah and and the reason I'm sharing this is because, you know, the listener can relate to maybe not that traumatic of an event, but anytime we're growing up, we go through an event, and if it's traumatic, we decide our mind creates a decision that creates a limiting belief.
0: Right, without a doubt.
1: And that's what happened to me, and it led to an inauthentic version of me, and, you know, people-pleasing tendencies
0: and all of this. Yeah, it has a huge domino effect.
1: Huge, sure. huge. And I was, you know, living with different parts of family and moving all, moving all around, and so I really got into this because... I wanted to understand what was the thing that was holding me back and stopping me right. and it was fear. So
0: yeah. now tell me, All right so we're going to get into all that but yeah. tell me where are you actually from what part of the country
1: So I say that I'm from Connecticut because I went to uh, grade school and high school there. Okay. Um so that's where I'm from even though I've lived like six seven different places.
0: Where where was your most uh, where was the place you lived that was the your favorite place? <laughs>
1: Oh, right now, San Diego. Diego. I mean, you can't beat it. So before before San Diego, I would say Chicago. I lived in Chicago for six years, and man. Chicago is a cool place. Yeah.
0: And the funny thing about Chicago, for me anyway, is I mean, I've been there a ton of times for work, but it's one of the few places in the world I've ever been where literally every person I've ever met from Chicago, Mm -hmm. they're all cool. They've got that Midwestern vibe, but kind of a city vibe too. So they're just like all... Like hardworking, nice, yes. super polite people. Like they're kind of like, they're kind of like New Yorkers without all the angst and the attitude, for sure. And you know, so they're super cosmopolitan. So all right, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. What was um? I always like to ask people. I think so many of our uh, interesting things that happen to us and how we define get defined mm-hmm. in our lives are started in, at a young age, primarily in high school. Yes. What was high school like from you? What was the what, what did you learn in high school? Was it a good experience? Man,
1: I loved high school. I had a really good high school experience. I had great friends. I lived in a small town, like town of 7,000 people. My high school gym, my graduating class had 73 students. Oh my gosh. Okay. Public school, right? Everyone knew everyone. Yeah. Uh, you know, my friends' parents were my parents. My parents were my friend's parents, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, and it was a lot of fun and I was still in a place of like massive insecurity, wasn't comfortable with, with, uh, with dating girls yet and all of that stuff. I had huge fear in those areas. <laughs> yes. Um, I played some sports. What did you play? Uh, played golf actually, even though you, we were they, just, we were talking, just about talking about Eric. About I know. Um, yeah, I played golf. I was captain of my golf team. It's so funny.
0: Like the, the people I know who are like super athletes, they all play golf. Really? You and Eric. Yeah. A couple other people well,
1: here's the thing. You know, I'm not, um, I'm not proud to say this, but we didn't have a football team. So I never got to play football. Huh. And I know you played, I played football. And
0: you're not missing anything. Oh, high school man. footballs. Not uh, Really? If you're really good, high school football is awesome. Yeah. If you are not good, it's 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 so painful. It's yeah. so so painful. That's why I that's why I end up starting. um I switched from football to lacrosse my freshman year in high For school sure. because I fell in love with the uh, the history of lacrosse and it was like all oh, guys my size. Yeah. I'm just, you run around. They give you a stick to hit people. I mean, it's pretty kind of a cool thing, right? Yeah. But yeah, football, football could be rough. Okay, so high school was great. You really yep. loved it. You still in touch with your high school friends? I
1: am, yeah. The only downside was actually the name of our school. Oh, God. So talk about you know, a time in your life when it's easy to be embarrassed. Sure. Our mascot, what we were called, were the Nathan Hale Ray, which is fine, Little Noises literally little the noises. name of our like you know how most schools are like the cougars or the scorpions the or the wolverines or, yeah, we, were, we the were the little noises oh, the we had, little had to like little run little out, little out of the tunnel as the little noises oh, and teams horrible. would just laugh at us
0: that's horrible. That's why you didn't have a football team that's you could exactly. you can't have a football team with that name that's so true jeez that's horrible all right a couple rapid fire questions for mm-hmm. you um for no particular reason than other have other people to you know get to learn a yeah. little bit more about it what's your favorite movie
1: First movie that comes to mind is Braveheart. I know it's like a common wow. one. Oh yeah, Braveheart was an that's epic not common. film. You're
0: the first person in our podcast who's ever said Braveheart. Really? Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I remember being—I don't know how old—ten years old, that's seeing great. that in the theater, being
0: like up. completely blown away. Yeah, exactly. So good. Yeah. So good. Okay. Cool. What about favorite album?
1: Favorite album? I would say Legend um, by Bob Marley and the Wailers.
0: Oh. Yeah.
1: Nice. So that's got I'm some great a lot numbers. About you yeah, right now. for sure. Cool. Right
0: on. Yeah. All right. What about um, last question on that favorite book?
1: This is the hardest one for me to choose because yeah, there's awesome. so many epic books that that I love. Um, the one that comes to mind is Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand.
0: I never read it. Do You like? You loved it though? <laughs> Huge.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's a big book to read. It's like sure. 1500 pages, and when it comes to the mindset of being a producer versus a consumer, you right. know, the entrepreneurial mindset, I think it's the most epic book you could ever read. You
0: think it's a good business book?
1: Phenomenal. Yes.
0: Because I I find um. I'll tell me what you think about this. I find the best bu- business books mm-hmm. are the ones that aren't business books. Yes. Like to me, my, what, I have two favorite books, or I would say one of my, probably my favorite book of all time is The Godfather. Okay. And to me, I've it's never
1: amazing. read the book. It's unbelievable.
0: But I'm telling you, if you buy it, you'll curse me. If you have anything planned.
1: Because nothing else will season, get done. No, you can't. You yeah. don't,
0: don't do it when your girlfriend's going out of town. <laughs> yep. You don't have an event. You, yeah. you know, you've got nothing going on. Yep. If the weather's bad, which it never is in San Diego, or you yeah. can just go to the beach, you need three, four hours the first day alone. Wow. Just knowing you're going to be deep in it. Okay. But I think that's the best business book of all time. I learned more about business reading that book than and any of the other several thousand business books I've read in my life. Yet
1: now I want to go read it. It's fantastic. I've seen the film, love it. Yeah, yeah, the movie's and, great. Okay. The movie,
0: um, I think the movie is almost as good as the book, mm-hmm. but the book has so many other plot lines and subplot lines in it For that sure, it makes you appreciate the movie more. Like you see different things that they do and things with Sonny and Michael yep. and um, backstories that you, they they hint at them in the movie and you maybe don't catch them in the movie. Yep. But then when you see it in the movie after reading the book, you're like, oh, that's the thing so had with whatever. There's, yep. there's just some also really funny parts in it too. So
1: Do you uh do you read books or you listen to them more now?
0: I read. I yeah. read so I'm old school. I yeah, read yeah. I probably read one or two books a week.
1: Wow. Um wow. And I'll Good go for on you.
0: streaks. I'll go on streaks where I don't read, you know, as much, mm-hmm. but I probably have I keep my books. Um this is just kind of my thing, but in my in our house. I have like in the on the kitchen countertop. I have got where I put my keys and my wallet. Yep. I have a money tree plant there. Yep. Then I've got like my my glasses and my iPad. But I have, I'll probably have six or seven books that at any given time are what I'm reading. I yep. always have a couple of fiction books, yep. and then I have a couple of probably business books, and then I have you know one or two nonprofit books as or, or me, non-fiction. Uh, nonfiction books yeah. as well. Um, I had a professor in college, and he said the best education you could ever get was if you were able to read 10,000 books on any subject. Wow! And uh, he's a cool deal. I've talked about this before, but so in his house, he's from another guy from Connecticut Mm -hmm. in his house, his whole house, it was all bookshelves. So we had three bookshelves just in his bathroom. Oh, that's awesome. He had had, his coffee table book was a book about a color book about ants. Mm -hmm. That was like six inches thick, a thousand pages, just different pictures of ants and studies of ants. And this is just like, I don't know. He was just like, this was, he was just that guy. Yeah. And and I think he's right. I think he learns so much more about books that, mm-hmm. um, than you can in anything else. So I would make it a point to read as much as I possibly can. For sure. What about you?
1: My ritual is uh, I read every single day, but first thing in the morning. It's oh, very oh, different yo, than most oh, people. First thing in the morning so my morning ritual starts with as I'm like drinking a green juice or a green smoothie, I'm waking up and I'm reading a book. And that's always kind of like my time to learn or my time to get in the right state of mind. Because for me, by the end of the day, after work, after dinner, after connecting with my girlfriend, I'm exhausted. I don't know about you. So, like, if I start getting in front of a book, I'm going to fall asleep.
0: Yeah. So. I I find I read. I, you know, because I've got two daughters mm -hmm. and I'm married. and We've got pets and the whole thing. So, we have a pretty busy house. There are pockets. Like, I can go for stretches on weekends. if like stuff's going on. Yes. I can get a couple hours in. I'll read at night. Sometimes it'll make me tired. I have a pretty active brain, so I need to slow it down. Yep. So if I I will deliberately sometimes read stuff like heavier stuff at night. Like I'll read about stoicism, which I love. Yes. Um and I'll do it at night. I may only, only get a couple pages of meditations by Marcus Aurelius in, mm-hmm. but it's it's great. It's heavy and it's right before I go to bed and it makes me fall asleep. Yep. Yeah. So all right, all right, cool, very cool. All right. So let's talk about your story. Yes. Tell everybody what you do, who do you help, why did you start it? Give us the, give us the Peter Scott story. Okay,
1: cool. So I, I kind of started on this a little <laughs> earlier in the podcast. Um, but what I do is I help uh, high-performing corporate executives, entrepreneurs, salespeople, literally transform their relationship with fear so that it no longer stops them. Okay, and I'm going to
0: come back to this because I want to hear about the term relationship with fear, because it's very interesting. Yeah. Go ahead,
1: yeah, so the reason why I say that, and, and I'll elaborate on that now, is because yeah. even though my book is The Fearless Mindset, my you know event is A Fearless Life Experience, a lot of people are like, Peter, do you think it's possible to be without fear? Right. And I don't. And okay. even though the word that I choose is fearless, I don't mean being without fear. What I mean is having the courage to do the very thing that scares you. And when you default to that, of noticing, okay, I've got this fear of judgment or rejection or charging my worth or failing, whatever that is coming up for you, the default needs to be into action, not, you know, um, how do I overcome this fear? Or how do I get rid of it? That's not possible. It's right. choosing to do the very thing that terrifies you. And through that, that fear becomes less and less.
0: Right. The impact on it. becomes Exactly. Less. Yeah. yeah. So, so you're saying it's not a lack. So you're not telling people, hey, we're going to eradicate all your fear. You're more, hey, you have fear. Let's acknowledge it. How do we move? How do we? How do we still move forward? With exactly.
1: It? And how can you channel it in a good way? Right. Because like when you look at anything that that my belief is that the only thing that's stopping people is fear, and it's not fear of you know imminent danger. Sure. Right. That's that's a fear that's a good thing. Right. right. That fi- Like if if you were woken up in the middle of the night to a burglar breaking into your home, that fear that's a good thing. I want you to keep that. Sure. Right. But that fear that you feel if you are to be interviewed on a podcast or if you're going to launch an event or if you're going to share a message from stage, that fear of being judged, of being rejected, that's an irrational fear that's keeping people from living. So those are the fears that were consuming my entire life. Wow. And I literally um, was so dissatisfied with where I was at in my mid-20s. I had a series of events that happened where I was working in investment banking. I was living in Chicago. Wow. And I was working eighty, ninety, hundred hours a week. And there were two events that happened. Number one was I remember being in the office till about eleven PM at night on a Thursday. And I was the only one there alongside one of the partners, one of the managing managing directors of the company. Right. And he had nothing pressing due the next day. There was no meeting, there was no pitch, there was nothing. And I wondered why he was there. And he literally was there because he was afraid to go home to his family because he had neglected them for so long. He would just stay in the office. And this was my- He told you this? He told me this, yeah. So this was my mentor. This was the man that I aspired to become. He had all the things that I thought I wanted. He had the cars and the suits and the big homes and all of that. And I just realized to do that at the cost of my relationships or at the cost of my health wasn't worth it.
0: Was he? Uh, was he a healthy guy? Was he?
1: No, he neglected everything. He he did great work for the company. He closed deals. He made a ton of money, but he did it at the cost of all these other areas. Ugh. and it just made me realize in my mid twenties, like it's not worth it to me to do that, right? Um, and it was terrifying because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just discovered right. in that moment right. I didn't want to do that,
0: right? And that don't you think that that's one of the most terrifying things when you're like, wow, I hate this but I don't necessarily have an alternative. Yes, like for sure. I want to get out of this, but I don't necessarily know where to go from here.
1: Totally, yeah. 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 And I think that's an experience that a lot of people have is yeah. they are in a job, for example, where they're getting paid well and right. it's paying the bills, it's providing the quality of life that they want, right. but they're not passionate about what they're doing and they're not happy with what they're doing on a day-to-day <laughs> basis.
0: Um, so the, how did that, so, so, you're, so you're working 90-hour weeks, yep. investment banking in Chicago. Yeah. Sounds like that was your your big moment. You're like, Oh, this is horrible.
1: Yeah. So that was, that was leading up to the big moment. So, so that was one event. The second event was, um, I got a phone call from a family member that, that really altered the course of my life. And I think many of us can relate to having that call, whether it was good or for bad. Um, and it was a family member telling me that my father had just been rushed to the hospital and I was 25 years old. And they said, Peter, you've got to fly home immediately if you want to say goodbye.
0: Oh my goodness. Yeah.
1: And it was it was one of those phone calls. And I um I remember flying home to Connecticut and walking into Middlesex Hospital in Middletown, Connecticut, and seeing my dad, you know, who is my childhood hero. Right. Um, right, right. just emaciated in the hospital bed in hospice. And was he old? He wasn't. He was sixty years old. Oh, and wow, this young. now now this didn't come to me as a surprise. Because his health had been deteriorating pretty rapidly for the prior five years, uh, he was in and out of the hospital, he had many close brushes with death and um, I remember sitting there and asking him, "Dad, why did you do this to yourself, and why did you do this to me?" I had a lot of anger and a lot of sadness towards that, and he looked at me and he said, "Peter, because I am afraid and that was the moment my my father Jim was afraid of not living up to his parents' expectations. He was what did af- he do for work? He wasn't working. Okay. He, you know, His dad, my grandfather, um, incredible man, highly successful, great husband, not the best dad. He was one yeah. of those men who, uh, uh, unbelievable industrialist, philanthropist, gave back a lot, except to his own family. Wow! And so my <laughs> father kept living in the shadow of, of his dad for many years. And, um, literally chose to give up on life and drink himself to death. And so that's why he passed away so young at 60. I was 25 and I just watched this deterioration over the last five years of his life. And that was the moment, like we have these moments that put life in perspective, you know, where you realize how fragile life is and how limited our time is. Yeah. And that's when I decided, you know what? tomorrow's not guaranteed to me. It's not guaranteed to anyone. Right. I've right. got to get out of this job.
0: So, wow. And so then, so you're in Chicago. Yep. Uh, just out of curiosity, so you're working 90 hours a week. What was yeah. your health like at that time?
1: Horrible. Oh my gosh, you got to see the before picture of
0: me. Are they bad? So you've they
1: only funny? known me here since CrossFit. Yeah, since we've been training together. Those of
0: you listen, and I'll put a picture of Pete on. That. I mean, Pete <laughs> is a good-looking dude who's in great shape. So <laughs> well,
1: I'll share. I'll share the before picture of me, right, so you can post the, it. Send me the send me the, so send me the
0: before and then the after. The
1: picture listener, so so for you listening <clears throat> to this, imagine a fat Napoleon Dynamite. That's what I look like. <laughs> with the hair yes so i had the hair i had the big afro i had glasses on um man it was it was ugly and it was just yeah because you know when you're working 90 hours a week you're chained to a cubicle i'm eating you know really bad processed foods all the time um i didn't go work out uh you know that was kind of the 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 lifestyle of the investment banker
0: i went to my uh high school reunion a few years ago and um so a guy i was uh Pretty good friends with him in high school, but I hadn't seen in a long time. And At the time in high school, he, and I won't say his name on the off chance he's listening, he's probably not because he's probably yeah. still working 90 hours a week. Um, <laughs> at the time in high school, he was a three-sport athlete, like good-looking guy in great shape, yes. the whole deal. And I saw him at the reunion, and he must have weighed 300 pounds. And, 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 it, and it's just huge now. <clears throat> excuse me. And he's a hedge fund guy, or yeah. pri- excuse me, a private equity guy in New York City, and he just works all the time. And he is just ballooned up. He looks so unhealthy. And I'm like, this is unbelievable. This is a guy who like on the football field just was like, you know, he was all state, this, all state that he was on the basketball team. He was just unreal, unreal athlete. Uh, he was vice president of the class. I was president. He was vice VP, And then, but yeah, just so like just super stud all the way around. And like, I see him now and I was like, and he's worth a ton of money. He has a ton of cash for sure. But like, this dude, I was like, man, you can't have another beer, dude. I don't want you to like pass out. And for die sure, yeah. While we're at our reunions, yeah. it's just crazy. What- and it,
1: it, it actually requires work to to gain that much weight. Like like I went to yeah exactly because like I went to a friend's wedding back in Ohio. I went to Ohio State for undergrad, so like my college career was in in the Midwest. And I remember seeing a lot of friends from college, and a lot of them gained a lot of weight. Right, and they saw me and they're kind of like, Peter, how did you do? what you've done, because I had my own transformation in a, in a good way. And I was thinking to them, how did you do, how did you go the other way? Like, right. I think it's actually harder to go the other way.
0: I think it is, too. I think you know you what I mean? Like, you almost have to have a willful disregard. Yes. And then also, the other thing is, like, you see yourself every day after you get out of the shower in mm-hmm. the mirror. Like, yep. after a while. And I guess it's a gradual thing where you don't notice. Yeah. And just after a while, you're just like, oh wow, like I've gone from just being in shape to having a dad bod, yep. and now I don't have a dad bod. Now I'm actually fat. Now I'm fat. And Now I'm you know like really obese. Like how does that happen? Totally. Okay, let's let's <laughs> go on. Um, so that's how you got into this work. So tell mm-hmm. me, you talked a little bit about it as a, in, as it relates to your dad and, yep. and things that happened to you when you're ten. But so why do you do this work?
1: Because mm-hmm. I can't
0: imagine that it's easy, and I can't imagine. I mean, if you you know. No offense to anybody, but like as an investment banker, you make a, you know ridiculous yeah, amount of for money. For sure. So you've sort of chosen a very honorable, <laughs> samurai esque servant model, where yeah. like you probably don't make as much as you could have made, mm-hmm. and my guess is the work is way harder.
1: So yes, the work is more challenging for sure, right? Because building a business, you know that in of itself requires a lot of courage and commitment and mastering things that at first you just are absolutely horrible at. You know what I mean? So, um, I remember leaving that industry and my colleagues, my coworkers, my mentors thinking I was absolutely insane and being like, Peter, you're going to be back here a year from now back getting, you know, getting into this job. You were kind of there in the
0: heyday too. For sure.
1: Yeah. I started right at the height of the market. Um, I did see the meltdown I was in it during the meltdown. Okay. so I remember fifty percent of my firm being laid off and and me still being there going from working eighty hours a week to one hundred and ten hours a week because we lost half our sure
0: yeah part of it. so that
1: okay. was the other challenging part was that I was a producer, so my identity got a lot of significance from being a producer in that industry, mm-hmm. right? Gotcha. and so um but to to answer your question of you know, the, I genuinely feel, Jim, like this is my purpose in life. Like I went through all the events in my life, all the, the traumatic experiences for a reason. And it was to learn how to shift my own relationship with fear and learn certain steps that I've taken to overcome those fears. And I feel like it's, it's like my, my uh, moral obligation in a way to go and teach others how to do that. And I just feel so committed to working with the high performers of the world because they, are, they create a ripple effect. Right. You know, when you can impact a uh, high-producing executive or an entrepreneur, they go impact their company, they go impact their community, their family. Right. They, you know what I mean, and it just has this ripple effect out there. Yeah. And honestly, um yes, definitely the first few years I sacrificed a lot financially because I was making a lot more as an investment banker. Sure. Now after doing this for a few years, I see m- the potential of me earning way more money oh, in my okay. business. So it's, you know, <laughs> yes, there's a transition period there for sure. But yeah. now that I've got systems in place and I'm growing my business and things like that, I see levels of wealth and abundance that I could not have achieved if I stayed, you know, in the investment right. banking career.
0: You probably if you stayed in investment banking, you probably would have burned out at some point. For sure. Because those guys yep. all tend to burn yep. out. Okay. All right. So let's talk a little bit about living fearlessly and what that means. And and so I have a couple of just overall questions I want to ask you about yeah. that. And I want and then before we get into the actual steps. But so how do you define fearless living? What does that mean for you? I mean, I know you work with people one-on-one, mm-hmm. which we're going to talk about later, and you do events, but so you've dealt with this a lot. It seems like this has been a cornerstone of your life, but yeah. how would you define living fearless? What does it mean?
1: Yeah, so to go back to kind of what I was sharing around the word fearless earlier, it's not being without fear. That's the big thing that I want the listener to take away, to expect for you to be without fear is going to set you up for, for, for being disappointed because if you are without fear, then you're probably just playing small. Honestly, you're probably just being in your comfort zone, right? right? The more that you feel fear, I think is, it means that you're stretching yourself. It's a good thing. Um, and it's a default to action. That's what, what I would define it as. So instead of saying, oh my gosh, I'm afraid of public speaking. So I need to, you know, um, Read all the books, and I need to, you know, do all these things and learn all these skill sets before I go step on stage. Someone who's living fearlessly just steps on stage, right. and risks looking stupid and risks and you learn fumbling. You and you learn as you go. And if that's your default in everything, you know, maybe there's a difficult conversation that you're afraid to have with your spouse. Right. Instead of avoiding it, you step into that. Right. right? The thing that you're most afraid of doing is the most valuable thing for you to do. And when you can do that in your body and in your relationships and in your spirituality and your business, that's living fearlessly.
0: Yeah, it's funny. There's um, <clears throat> there, I so agree with everything you're saying, and it, it reminds me of. And this is gonna sound super super weird, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Risky business, the movie Risky Business. Okay,
1: yeah. Right? So one, yep.
0: I, personally, I mean, I, I
1: haven't that seen area, that in right? years. I I, I right. love either the either right. way. Yeah, fifteen years, but it's awesome.
0: Yeah. But so one of the quotes in the movie is when the guy is interviewing. To go to Princeton or whatever. Yes. when, when uh, Tom Cruise is interviewing, he, he says, sometimes you got to say, you know, what the F and mm-hmm. make your move. Yes. And I feel like that's, you know, a funny quote in a funny movie yeah. and they're just kind of making light of it. But I really feel like that's, man, if you live your life that way, yep. it's actually not a bad way to live. It kind of makes some sense. For know? sure. Yeah. Um, Along those lines, I mean, how attainable do you think it is to live fearlessly and do what you do?
1: I think every single person, anyone, it doesn't matter who it is, has the potential to do that. Now, the question is, are they willing to experience discomfort? Because one's capacity for discomfort, like, they have to be willing to be uncomfortable. And honestly, most people choose not to. Right. So everyone... Everyone has the potential and the reason why I think so few people are is because they don't want to go through that discomfort. They want to stay where they're at. And if you're listening to this, 99%, I mean, you wouldn't be listening to Jim's podcast if you're someone who is just kind of in your comfort zone, right? You listen to things like this. You read, you know, you listen to people like Tim Ferriss and things like that because you want to grow. So there's a subset that we get to be the example, we get to be the lighthouses of what's possible by how we're living our life. Right.
0: I think what's cool about what you just said, and um, I don't want to, I don't want to gloss over. It. I want to make sure everyone hears that. Is mm-hmm. like what you said was, it's, it went into, as it refers to attainability. It's like everyone has the potential to doing to doing it or to, to living fearlessly. It's a matter of willingness. Yes, and I think that's the key, right? So like, I might want to become a brain surgeon. I don't have that potential. Mm-hmm. I haven't to yep. medical school. Yep. I don't know anything about the human body. Like you know, I just don't have that p- potential. Yep. Even if I was willing to do it. Yeah. But what you're saying is like, no, we all ha- we all have that ability. It's inherent within us. Yep. It's just whether you're willing to do
1: it or not. That's exactly right. Which is, yeah. Which is cool. Okay. When I when I when I launched my business, uh, my coaching business, I had tremendous fear around that. Right. Because really? I yeah because I I knew that my coworkers would see my, you know, messages or posts on Facebook. I knew that my family would see everything that I was doing. And I had so much fear around being judged and being rejected and failing. And I just made the default to, it doesn't matter what other people think. And I got so connected to my mission that I, I viewed it, honestly, Jim, as a disservice to humanity if I didn't do that. So I did so things like great. literally turn my Facebook page into a personal diary for everyone to read. I shared things like you can't imagine, like what I just shared with you. Yeah. I would talk about that with my mom being on my face, like you know what I mean, oh, like really crazy yeah, my stuff. Stomach is literally, totally, yeah. <laughs> and I, I would shoot video. I, I remember a ninety-day period. I shot a video every single day. I didn't know what I was saying. I didn't know what my message was. I didn't. Did it. I just did it, and I became more confident as a result of doing. That's one thing. If if you're listening to this, um, write this down. If you're not driving. And if you are driving, come back and listen to this part. Confidence is a result. It is not a requirement. Right. It's a result from doing the very thing that scares you. That's how you build confidence. It's not waiting around to be more confident before you go take that action. Right. It's totally. take that action and you will become. And then
0: confidence also, I think, is, spins off of that in the sense that the more confidence you have, the more willingness you have to do things and try yes. to quit. And then the more willingness to try things and do things, the yep. more confident you become. So it's a nice circle, for a sure. Nice, nice little circle of love there. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into. I want to talk about people who are listening. Steps for them to live fearlessly. Mm-hmm. What four? Let's just say four steps. What are the four steps? Overarching themes you would suggest to people to start living fearlessly.
1: Okay. So first would be to to actually define your fear. Okay. So if you think about it. We feel fear, right? right? And I said earlier, there's, actually I haven't said this yet, but there's two types of fear. There's rational fears that keep us alive. Those are good fears. Yeah, and there's, there's a fire burning down the street. Exactly. Actually, I need to run the other direction. Totally. And there's irrational fears that keep us from living. The fear of failure, the fear of judgment, those fears. So it's defining what is that fear, number one. And then actually getting so clear into what the worst case scenario of that fear becoming reality what is your nightmare? Clarify it. Okay. So like, for example, um, if you had a fear of giving a presentation at work, right, okay, that's the surface level fear. Then you go deeper and you feel, feel like, oh my gosh, if you tank in your presentation, then you could lose the bonus that you were expecting, you know, or, right. the, or the raise. And then if that happens, then you actually won't be able to pay the mortgage on the house that you just moved in because uh, your wife is pregnant with your, your firstborn. Like get into the worst case scenario, look at right. it and just don't think about it. Take it out of your mind and write it out. Literally list that out. So that's step one. Okay. okay. Step two. And the way I came up with this, just so you know, Jim, is I interviewed a lot of different people for, for my book, The Fearless Mindset. And I, I learned from the experts that I, I looked at as living sure. fearlessly. Um, one of those is a guy named Tim Ferriss. Yeah. Right. And he talks about. A process similar to this, which I think is really really powerful, so I want to right. give him credit and Jesse Eller credit for this too. Um, second would be to actually list out what are the things that you could do to prevent that fear from happening. So we all could do little things to prevent the worst case scenario from happening. Okay. And when we see that, okay, it doesn't feel as terrifying. All right. That would be step two. Step three would be if that worst case scenario scenario does happen, what could you do to repair the situation? Okay. All right. So what are the actions you could take to repair it? And once you can see what it is, how to prevent it and how to repair it, it's not as scary.
0: Okay. Here's what I want to do. Yeah. I want you to take I want I want you to take me because this is not on topic or this is on the topic, but a different yes. direction. I want you to take me through one of my fears. Okay. Awesome. And this one and this is not it's not it's not like a huge one. Okay. But, but I think it's probably one that other people have, right? For now. sure. So um Even when I was in college, working out, like running two miles in the morning, Mm -hmm. going to lacrosse practice, practicing for two hours, Mm -hmm. and then lifting weights for two hours after that, like literally doing four hours of training every single day. I I was in pretty good shape, but I still have love handles. My real father, my biological father had love handles. I mean, like it just, it just is part of my thing. So I've always been super self-conscious about taking my shirt off no matter where I am. Okay. which is kind of funny because I love wearing tank tops. So I wear <laughs> tank tops all the time. Yeah. Um, surprisingly, I'm not wearing one today. I don't know why, but I wear tank tops all the time, but I, I do not like taking my shirt off okay. at the beach. Yep. Walk me through that.
1: So, okay. So let's go deeper. Cause the weather's hot.
0: Okay. I mean, it's hot right now. Totally.
1: So here's the thing. So number one is there's a deeper fear related to the fear of taking your shirt off. Cause the act of taking your shirt off is actually not what you're afraid of doing. What is what is the thing that you're afraid of happening once you take your shirt off?
0: That people are gonna look at me and they're gonna say, like, oh, he's got love handles or he looks he doesn't look good with a shirt off or okay something like that. I'm okay. gonna get judged. Okay. I feel like that's that's okay I'm gonna get judged.
1: And if you were to get judged, what, what does that mean about you?
0: Yeah, what that means like I'm not I'm not good enough, I'm not in shape. I've never wanted to be associated with um Like people who don't work out. I mean, because I work out all the time. I mean, you know, we just see you. I see you all the time. Like, you know, like I work out all the time. I'm pretty active. I've never wanted to be, oh, I think that guy just sits behind a desk and doesn't work out and whatever.
1: whatever. And would you consider yourself your own identity as someone who's healthy, someone who's active? Yeah. Okay. So, so what I'm hearing you say is it actually has little to do with the reality of. It has more to do with the meaning that you're attaching to it, right? From, from an from a, uh, imagination of what someone else could think of you. Is that true? Oh, yeah. So right. this is a really important thing is, number one, in the, in the moment of doing that, of you being on the beach without your shirt, you actually wouldn't feel fear in that moment. When you feel fear is thinking about doing that in the future. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. So that's a really important <laughs> d- distinction. <laughs> Is that fear is a chaotic projection of a painful future. Okay. So, okay. by sitting here and thinking about that scenario, that scares you, right? So, yeah, I would take you through the process of okay, write out like what is the worst case scenario, right? Like, list that stuff out. And then, what are some things that you could do to prevent that from happening? Obviously, you are already on the path of your own fitness and nutrition, yeah. right? So, continuing to um, prioritize that. What is one thing that you could do to repair that? Right. If that was to happen, if someone is to judge, how could you process that emotion or let that go or allow them to have their own experience? Because it has nothing to do with you. Yeah. It has everything to do with them.
0: Which is funny you say that because I feel like I, I feel that way. Like yeah. I always think that, like you know, I'm, you know, I have a small group of friends and a small, yeah. you know, smaller family. Mm-hmm. And like those are really the only people I care about who think about um, where I really worry about like what they think of me. Like yep. I worry about, about what my wife thinks of me. Yeah, my daughters for sure it's a really small group after that, it's not many people yeah. so it's kind of funny so like theoretically in theory yep. i wouldn't be bothered by someone looking at me on the beach and saying like that guy has love handles but for some reason in my head it does like you're saying for like sure imaginary thing it yeah makes it makes it
1: and doing something like in the real world so if you were to just you know during your afternoon like break or during lunch break you literally steps from the beach here yeah. Right. So if yeah. you were to walk out and just be like, you know what? I'm going to walk to the beach and back and I'm going to take my shirt off. Oh, God. And I'm just going to do that every single day. <laughs> and I guarantee you after a few days, you would feel way less fear by doing that. All right.
0: I'm going to try that. I, yes. I, I will try that and see how it goes. I'll let you know. Awesome. When that goes, because that, <laughs> Because that definitely makes me nervous, makes my stomach clench, which means that it's probably something I really need to yep, do. for sure. Unfortunately, for sure. God, I really wish I hadn't asked you that question.
1: <laughs> now, last thing, <laughs> I want to I complete the last step. Yep. So last step is to actually get clear on the cost of not doing the thing that scares you. So what is the cost okay. of inaction? So a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, I'm afraid of launching this new product in my business because what if it fails? My question to you would be, what is the cost of not doing that? You know, what is the cost of letting another 5 or 10 or 20 years pass you by in a, if you're in a job that you hate? Isn't that cost greater yeah. than the risk or the cost of taking a leap of faith and, yeah. and, and pursuing that? And, yeah. w- you know, that's, that's the biggest thing. That, you know, to go back to my father passing away, that's what happened in that event when that happened. I looked at, okay, here's this other mentor of mine. And if I don't do anything about this, I'm going to be that in 10 years or 20 years. That's a much greater cost than me saying, you know what, I'm going to quit my job and go pursue my passion. And I may be successful or I may fall on my face, but I'd rather take a risk at doing that than let my life pass me by.
0: It's funny too that you say that because I feel like most people who make those huge transformative moves, Mm -hmm. they end up being successful most times. You know they end up, and maybe not on their first thing, maybe not even on their third or their fourth, but yeah. they just kind of keep grinding because they believe in it so strongly. Yes, and they end up hitting success at some point. And and I really do think that there's a there's a there's a deep connection between when you are connected to what you really should be doing in the world, and then also what you want to do in the world. Yep, it just makes everything else easy. And I know that people listening alive you know, I'm sure a lot of people who are listening do things that they're good at. So when I owned a real estate company and I had 70 agents and five offices,
1: mm-hmm.
0: we were successful because I'm good at that. And I, it's easy for me to manage, but like, I'm good at that. But it definitely wasn't filling my soul. Yes. And so even though I was making a lot of money and we were doing really well, like every day it was just like, I mean, I would, I remember coming in, I, it would be eight o'clock. And I'd be like, I would look at the clock in half an hour and I'd be like, oh, it's 830 i look at it another half hour and be like, it's eight 40. i look at it again. In an hour
1: oh, and now like, yes, like, gets at nine o'clock because
0: <laughs> yep. like, at nine o'clock there's only three hours before lunch. <laughs> yeah. And then at lunch, like, Oh, there's only four hours until five. I can <laughs> hopefully get out of here. And I mean, it's so bad. Yeah. Whereas with what I'm doing now, the day flies by and it's, you know, it's five 30 at night and I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. Like, geez, I need to eat lunch. Like yep. well, where did this day go? Okay. Um, <clears throat> out of those steps, <laughs> I think you already answered it, but I want to make sure we're solid on this. What's the most important step?
1: Yeah. Doing the thing that scares you. So like we were talking about fear of taking the shirt off and being on the beach, guess what? You get to do that every day, you know, for the next week. And just by doing that one thing, that one thing alone, that fear is going to get smaller and smaller. Oh my God. I can't believe I'm committing (laughs) to do. that. I love that you asked me that question. I know.
0: I can't believe I asked you that question. I was going to know to myself to maybe not do that in the future. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. So I only have a couple more questions for you. Yes. What's the very first thing people should do right now to start living a fearless life and start um, following some of the stuff that you're saying? What's the very first thing someone should do besides read your book? I'm going to put a link to your book mm, thank you. I've actually yeah. read your book and it's fantastic. Awesome. Um, and I don't say that all about a lot of books or people who've been on here. So cool. I will put a link to that, but what's the first thing they should do?
1: Get clear on the thing that you're most afraid of. Literally write it down. and take one step today to move towards doing that. So if it is to leave your job, right? And launch a business. Am I suggesting you to, you know, quit your job um, when you have nothing else lined up? No, I'm not suggesting that. However, I'm suggesting that you take, clarify one step that you could take towards doing that. That makes sense because motion creates emotion. And when you get into motion, you start seeing the proof and the evidence that you need to feel more courageous. Yeah. So what is that thing that you're afraid of doing? And then is one, what is one small micro step that you could take to move towards that? Because you will turn around 30 days from now, 90 days from now. And it, it's amazing, Jim. We don't have the eyes to see our full potential. Right. So there's so much unknown, and that stops a lot of people. And my recommendation would be to just put one step in front of the other. And take that first step because by doing that, more and more of that path becomes illuminated.
0: Interesting. When you say write down your fear, mm-hmm. uh, let's just drill into that a little bit. Do you mean I am like what verbiage? Like are you saying, like I am afraid of losing my job? Or I am afraid of going out on my own. I'm afraid of taking my shot You just like just a, a just a statement. Is you, that kind of what you're thinking? So
1: yes. And if you can actually define the fear, that would be more valuable, right? So it's like If you were afraid of failing, right, if that's your fear is failing or judgment or rejection, you write out what that is, and then you actually complete. And here's a sentence stem that someone can can do is say, if I was no longer afraid of blank, I would dot, dot, dot. So if I was no longer afraid of rejection, I would ask that person out. If I was no longer afraid of failure, I would... Start launch that business. new yes yeah, Start my
0: own business gotcha. exactly okay all right that's 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 great advice and yeah. just take a small st- and a small step can really be anything right like so let's using your example of someone who's afraid of starting their own business and they're going to take a small step The small step could be buying a book on how to start a business exactly yeah it could be listening to a podcast about that yep. it could be could be writing out um you know like a goal you know goals of what the business would be. For it doesn't sure. have to be writing a business plan and quitting your job totally. and getting a new office. Yep. Yep.
1: A I mean, my first step of launching a business, and this is pretty radical, but I hired a mentor. You know, I knew the importance yeah. of having a mentor who had the results that I wanted. Yeah. And um, you know, some people do this, uh, not everyone, but I invested $20,000 in my first mentor, which was a year of school. You know, it was a wow. huge leap of faith. And that was money I didn't have. I it was my savings, it was money I borrowed from family, it was credit card debt, it was all of those things. Right. And yet that is what I needed to do to really feel committed to what I was building right. and also accelerate my results. Because I think anyone can achieve anything on their own. It just takes longer to do it by yourself. Why not find someone who, who's already done that or who can help you accelerate right. that process and collapse, you know, what could take you four years into one year. Right, so. right.
0: Yeah, which makes sense. Okay. Final thoughts. Yes. Give me some final thoughts for the audience. Thank you. First of all, well, first of all, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I've got another question for you after this, but any final thoughts for our, for our group?
1: I would say just go back, you know, if you're anything like me, you listen to a lot of interviews, you read a lot of books, and I don't want you to listen to this for just information's sake. Uh, The final thought that I would leave you with is go back and write out one, two or three things that you're going to actually implement from this interview that is the most important thing you know it's so easy to want to acquire more and more knowledge and i don't believe that knowledge is power i believe that applied knowledge is power right (laughs) so it's like how can you take these strategies exactly how can you take these strategies and go implement that and by doing that you are living fearlessly and you're being the example for what's possible that's awesome
0: well thank you so much for being here how can people find you how do they get how do they get in touch with you
1: thank you jim um so one thing I'd love to do is I'd love to give a gift to the listeners. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so if any of you, you know, as you've listened to this inter- interview, resonated with, oh my gosh, I've got some big fears in my life and I need some more support and, and overcoming, which is everyone, right?
0: Is like um, have yet to meet someone who doesn't have totally any fears.
1: Totally, totally. Um, I've created something that I want to give as a gift and it's a five-day Face Your Fear challenge. It's right. an online challenge and basically you join the challenge, you get, you get a short daily video from me for five days. And it teaches you an aspect of fear. Let's say fear of public speaking. And it challenges you to go overcome that fear that day. And the next day is fear of failure. The next day is fear of charging your worth. So the listener can uh, join that for free um at challenge your fear dot com. That's
0: challenge your fear.com. Yep.
1: And then uh if you I would love to connect with me on social media yeah, on Facebook and on it. Instagram. If you just search Peter Scott IV as in the fourth, okay. You can connect with me there. And then if any of you want to come to San Diego and spend three days of like conquering fear, the experience of conquering fear, I lead a, a retreat called the Fearless Life Experience. And I When's limited to ten retreat? people. Um, at the time of this recording, it's not until March 16th through the 18th of 2018. Okay. So okay. there's time, but, but uh, if they follow you on social media, they can get information. Exactly. Yeah. And there's a video trailer at fearlesslifeexperience.com. They can check that out yeah. if they and want to. And your previous
0: event, I mean, just from watching the trailer, oh it gosh. just looks so, looks like it was awesome. It was and awesome. the other thing is I think Pete will be doing some stuff with us and hopefully speaking at one of our yes. retreats as well. So, all right, so I'm going to put all your social media in there. Awesome. I'll put a link to the book. And a link to the challenge because I think Great. it's something that everyone would dig. So, thank hey, you. thank you. Thank you so much for being here, first of all. Jim, nice thank you, brother. Yeah, likewise. again. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we'll have you back on again soon, I'm sure. Awesome. Thank all you. Right. And thanks, everyone else, for listening in. Check out um, more about our event at HeroUpSummit.com, HeroUpSummit.com. And as always, I really appreciate your emails and comments. It's uh, It's really cool to get feedback from you guys. So thank you guys once again. Talk to you soon. Hey, thanks for checking out the show today. For show notes, event updates, and tons of other free stuff, check out epicallday.com. And if you would, I'd love it if you were able to leave a review on iTunes as this really helps other people find our show. Thanks a ton. I appreciate you listening, and I'll talk to you soon.